Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax. So glad you're joining us, whether it's on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeart, wherever it might be, uh, you're back with us here on GBB Live, and that is appreciated. 3 and D with Justin Lewis, the core four with Parker uh, Fleming and Nate Chester. They've been carrying us these last couple of weeks because I've been busy, if I'm being honest, not to make it sound like no, no one else is busy, but I've been building GBB. I've been reestablishing our staff and adding some new talented people. And if you've been listening to the GBB podcast network this week, you may have heard some conversations with some of them, and we're going to continue that this evening. I am, of course, joined uh, on this recording of GBB Live by my co-host, Mr. Parker Fleming of the Core 4 Podcast, but he also gets to have GBB Live as part of his workload. Um, you're you're the young mule, Parker. We just load you up and you carry the weight. Yeah, I I, I don't know if I like the mule comparison, but... Well, you know, I'm the old mule. You're the young mule. Uh, what would you like to be that is a, is a heavy working animal that is not that attractive? Because you have to be humble here, Parker. I would like to think that... It's like a quarterback, a running back kind of thing. So, like, I'm the uh, running see, back that's that too, takes that's on the too, carries. Not nearly self deprecating enough. Plays. Okay. Not that, nearly self deprecating enough. Okay. Fair okay. enough. But I'll be the old mule then. Okay. I've been carrying right, weight for a long time. You can be the, the running back, the workhorse, so to speak. Um, but Parker and I have been busy uh, reestablishing GBB staff, and we'll talk more about that here in a moment. Ways to get in touch with the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Molinax. You can follow Parker at Paca underscore Flocka. You can follow our blog that we are editors for. I'm the site manager and Parker is my associate editor uh, at SBN Grizzlies. Of course, grizzlybearblues.com. And you can follow our podcast, GBB Live, at GBB Live. Our first guest on this episode of GBB Live is one of our newbies. Uh, we hired four new writers and a new podcast, uh, The Starting Five Guys. You'll be hearing from next week. Uh, but in terms of writers, our first guest that we're going to have on tonight is one of our new writers. We're very excited about her. She does a great job with social media. Uh, she comes highly recommended from uh, places like No Huddle Sports and Overtime Heroics, our old friend Darren Jeans, who once was a member of GBB. Uh, she's worked with him. She does a lot of great work over there. And now she's going to be moving on from Tigers-centric things to Grizzlies coverage with us. We're very excited to welcome her on to the show right now at Leanna Ritter underscore on Twitter. It is Miss Leanna Ritter. Excuse me. How are you doing, Miss Leanna I'm, Ritter? I'm doing great. How are y'all? We're doing pretty solid. Um, we're doing pretty well. I do think that it's important that we point out that it's obviously you are one of our tremendous new GB beers, and we're so excited to have you in the family. Uh, but we also have Bryce Hayes, who was on the core four this past week. We also have Brandon Abraham being promoted as an associate editor. Uh, we'll talk to him later on on this podcast. We also have Jesse Sinquini, who's going to be a great writer that comes to us from the Boston area. And then we also added Eric Nelson, who is Mr. Grizz Film himself uh, in terms of multimedia, video making, film breakdown, all sorts of different things. Uh, we, we have really done a phenomenal job. I'm going to pat myself on the back here, uh, identifying some pretty special talent. And Leanna, you're a great example of that. Now, before we get into the real meat and potatoes of this segment of the podcast, which is going to be talking about shotgunning beers, 
Um, I am curious, Leanna, how you came to us at GBB, some things you've done in the past, general arrival to wanting to do more work about the Grizzlies. Well, I have always been a Grizzlies fan growing up ever since they came to Memphis. Um, I think that I didn't, I didn't really get into basketball until I got to high school. I went, I'm born and bred in Memphis. Um, I went to White Station High School and my senior year of high school, I watched the Lawson brothers play White Station three times and they beat them when it counts. They beat them in the city championship. And ever since then, I've kind of been basketball minded. Um, and I went through college thinking that I wanted to be a teacher and about three days before graduation I decided that that's not what I wanted to do with my life and I've just been kind of trying to find I guess my sports voice um and I'm kind of trying new things and I kind of think um I've definitely done college but I really want to get my foot in the door with professional because I think that's a lot more I guess my speed um so that's kind of how I landed here we're so glad that you're here with us. I do want to stress that. One of my goals going into this hiring process, and it's been this way the last couple of years, I think it's really important to make GBB, because we're unique. You know, We have an opportunity to build a staff of people that is reflective of the fan base. And I do think that at times, you know, you want to get not just difference of thought, but you want people you know, that have different perspectives because of their backgrounds. And I think you're somebody that's a great example of that. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious, though, to get into that NBA analysis. Your very first podcast analysis of the NBA with grizzlybearblues.com, I'm sure you saw this coming, Leanna, is going to be life in the NBA bubble. Because I, I do think that people, obviously getting to the bubble was difficult. There was obviously some growing pains and positive coronavirus tests and, and all those things that come along with it. Now that they're there, I would say early on, you can knock on all of the wood that's around you. It's been pretty successful. And early on, it looks like they're having a blast. Whether it's Jonas Valanciunas and Justice Winslow fishing or Myers Leonard shotgunning beer. Uh, first off, I think we can all agree that if the Grizzlies ever got invited to a Myers-Leonard beer-chugging contest, the the representative for the Memphis Grizzlies would be Grayson Allen, right? Let's start with you, Parker. It's got to be Grayson, right? Yeah, I, I think it would be Grayson Allen. I mean, he he looks like somebody ought to be fraternity brothers with. Right. Coming from a fraternity male. So I would say him, but I also want to give a dark horse um, shout-out to Jonas Valanciunas because I think not only would – He'd do it, but I think it'd be one of those. It's just gone in like three or four seconds. Yeah, uh, Jonas is a solid runner-up, but I think Grayson Allen's my pick. What about you, Leanna? Um, yeah, I definitely think that it would be Grayson Allen first, but you have to definitely give Jonas a shout out because I feel like you guys are sleeping on him a little bit. I think he could definitely hold his own shotgunning beers. I think that it has to, it's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. And I do think that there would be a lot of beer fighting uh, within yeah. old Grayson Allen. I think he's got some experience uh, on that, on that front. Now the bubble looks awesome. And to be honest with you, the Grizzlies look awesome within the bubble. Uh, obviously there's uh Grizzlies social media presence. They put out some videos of the success that the team might be having. Um, 
I'm curious, Leanna, your your take on what it looks like for the Grizzlies in particular, because a lot has been made of John Morant and how big he's gotten or how much bigger he is compared to where he was when the season was suspended. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. has gotten bigger. Obviously, seeing Justice Winslow do basketball things is nice. The fact that Jonte Porter, even if he never plays a minute in the actual games coming up, at least they have Jonte Porter to take a look at before they have to decide on team options and roster spots. All those kinds of things. Grayson Allen, uh, when he's not chugging beers, is trying to prove his worth on the Grizzlies as well. So what's your overall takeaway looking at the Grizzlies' life in the bubble and how they've taken to it so far? Because I, I, I think it's fair to say that all the teams have been fine with it, uh, aside from complaining on Twitter about you know Disney four-star resorts being like Motel 6s, which is a bit out of touch with the reality. But I think Memphis has really done a remarkable job whether it's Taylor Jenkins and his fascinating plans and organizational skills, the team bonding stuff they're doing, obviously practices are planned. They have yoga uh, se- sessions for relaxation and and really replacing some energy and and getting lactic acid out because these guys have to be sore. They haven't played five on five in so long. Um, what are your overall takeaways of what the Grizzlies have done in the bubble to this point? Um. For starters, I would love to be a fly on the wall because they look like they're having way more fun than any of us on the outside world. Um, But honestly, I think they kind of have the upper hand considering that they're so young and they're so much closer to like AAU level. um, And they're kind of used to this kind of lifestyle. Granted, it's a little different um, considering the fact that they can't leave and there's so many restrictions. But I think they have the upper hand because of that. and from what I can see from the outside looking in, the, the team chemistry just seems so good um, compared to, uh, I guess, any other team, really. Because I've looked at, from what I've seen on, like, the Grizzlies Instagram and Twitter, they all just seem so happy. I, yeah, no, I think they have the upper hand because of the fact that they're young and they've, they're closer to this kind of experience than some of the, I guess, veterans. And it's one of those times where youthful, uh, the lack of experience in youth could pay off. You kind of alluded to it there, Leanna, with talking about how the fact that they're so close to what AAU basketball was. I mean, John Morant, for all of his greatness now and all his potential now, four years ago, he was playing in side gyms and AAU tournaments that nobody was really watching him play. So even in an empty arena or a close to empty arena, like they'll be playing in a couple of weeks when they take on the Portland Trailblazers in their first seeding game, uh, it's not going to be anything really that new to him, which is kind of fascinating. You compare that, Parker, to the Grizzlies' hopeful first-round playoff matchup if they get through these eight seeding games, whatever play-in may happen with the Pelicans or the Trailblazers or the Kings uh, as probably the three biggest threats to Memphis. If the Grizzlies are able to get through all that and they get the eighth seed and lock it up, they then have a date with the Los Angeles Lakers. But, you know, LeBron James is the biggest basketball player on the planet, the biggest star, the the best overall player, uh, maybe outside of Giannis. But LeBron has the pedigree and obviously has been doing it a long time. You've got Anthony Davis, who's one of the top six or seven players in the NBA alongside LeBron. But they are so removed from, you know, the idea of being by themselves in a gym with other teams and other players playing against each other. I do think the experience factor is something that in the day-to-day interactions, 
maybe is a little bit more important because they're professional and that sort of thing. But the great equalizer is the fact that nobody has this experience in this circumstance or this set of circumstances and add that up with no home court advantage. And the Grizzlies are, are maybe not going to be favorites to do anything against the Lakers, but I do think it gives them opportunity, whether it's to hold on to that eight seed, you don't want to put the cart before the horse, but whether it's to hold on to the eight seed or win playoffs or excuse me, play in series or, or take a couple of games from a Lakers team that maybe they would have been swept by if the season hadn't been suspended. Everything's kind of coming up Grizzlies when it comes to advantages from this uh, unfortunate set of circumstances. Right. Yeah. I, Agree with you that the Grizzlies are gonna are coming out on a good hand here. I I do like the first three games because you're getting your most important three games out of the way because they are your actual competition for the eight seed. I do think the Pelicans one will be hard, but it's also tough to judge because that first contest, the Pelicans literally set a franchise record in three pointers made, and in the second game there was no Jaron Jackson Jr. or Brandon Clark, and then also the last three games everybody thinks so hard, but we don't know what seating is going to look like for them. So how do we know that Milwaukee's not going to rest Giannis and Middleton or that Boston's going to give minute restrictions to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And another thing that's nice is you mentioned that experience doesn't really matter as much here because nobody's had this experience, but also there's no home court. So in most circumstances, the Grizzlies have to be playing the Los Angeles Lakers probably three times, but it's a neutral site. So, I mean, anything can happen. Anything can happen. And that's one of the fun things about it. As fun as uh, the, the bad circumstances that our society is in can make it. We're talking with Leanna Ritter. Make sure you're following her on Twitter at Leanna Ritter underscore, or excuse me. Um, yeah. So make sure you're following her on Twitter at Leanna Ritter. Uh, great follow. Newest, one of the newest Grizzly Bear Blues contributors. She's going to be writing for us. She's going to do some great stuff with social media. She's going to help us with Instagram. I am very old and I am not as effective with Instagram. Uh, Leanna is going to do a great job helping us get that off the ground here these next couple of weeks as we head into the seeding games. And speaking of those seeding games, Leanna, I want to get your take on something over at grizzlybearblues.com. Uh, Jordan Peterson writes for us. She uh, was able to get back into the swing of writing. She does a great job. She does these uh, projections of schedules called Scouting the Enemy. And she looks at the schedule of our team, the Grizzlies. But then she also looks at the schedule of other teams that are in the hunt for what the Grizzlies have, the eight seeds. So in this particular case, obviously with the play-in possibilities and all that, she's got Portland. She's got Sacramento. She's got the Pelicans, all those teams in that mix. Uh, she was pretty optimistic with what the Grizzlies were going to be able to do in Orlando. I think she has Memphis as uh, five and three, which actually, you know, she has Memphis getting off to a really hot start first and foremost, uh, beating Portland, beating San Antonio, beating the Pelicans. They lose four of their last five, but at four and four, you know, especially if, if you win those first three, it's more important what three you win maybe or what four you win than how you got all four of those wins, if that makes sense. The the opponent that you defeat maybe carries more weight than it would have in the past because obviously if you knock off Portland, San Antonio, and New Orleans, those are three teams that are directly in the hunt with you that you gain ground on both in terms of just actual games back but also tiebreaker uh, in implications. So um, 
Do you think that she is being overly optimistic with her four and four? Do you think she's being kind of pessimistic? How do you perceive what Jordan did with the Grizzlies in terms of the seeding games coming up? So I feel like it's a little realistic more so than pessimistic or optimistic because if you look at the fact that with, like I said, with the trailblazers, you have injuries and even looking at the Pelicans, you don't necessarily know if Zion's even going to be there to play you. That kind of gives you a little bit of upper hand because you guys have been playing together this entire time. Um, so I think it's, I think it's realistic. Um, and I think they have a good shot at going five and three. Parker, we've talked about this a little bit. And, uh, you know, Jordan in her article uh, down in the comments, she was the most commented article over at GBB today. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's pretty interesting to say that Memphis will like uh, do 54 uh, over at GBB said that it's a bit optimistic to think that Memphis will open with three wins and Portland will go 0 and 4. I do think that might be the difference, right? Like four and four seems like a logical, the Grizzlies are 32 and 33 on the season. Um, I don't, I don't think it's that big of a reach to suggest that the Grizzlies could go four and four in these eight games. Uh, They could go five and three. I think that's possible. I also think it's possible. They go three and five. A lot of it will be, uh, will be up to what we'll talk about here in a minute with what Memphis is able to do with those final five games beyond the three uh, that they start with against teams that are chasing them for the eight seed. Uh, but to me, if anything is maybe overly optimistic, it's the perception of what the teams around them, especially Portland, getting back Nurkic, getting back Collins. I think Portland is going to be a threat. I think the Kings are going to be a threat that nobody really talks about. And I also think that obviously the Pelicans will be a threat depending on what uh, Zion Williamson does now that he's left the bubble whenever he comes back. I mean, I agree a little bit with Jordan and her pessimism around Portland just because while they're getting Nurkic back and while they're getting Collins back, Nurkic hasn't played basketball in 18 months. And then their wing rotation is Carmelo Anthony, Mario Hazonia, Nasir Little, and Gary Trent Jr. after the departure of Trevor Ariza. They literally have no one to defend John Morant. That is a fair critique. They don't even have anybody to defend Dylan Brooks. Oh Lord! I know you wrote a six-piece feature on him, but Dylan Brooks is a catch-and-shoot guy. He's not really a catch-off-the-dribble. He's not as big of a threat. It wasn't meant for any like promotion of Dylan Brooks. It was more about slander for Portland. They don't have anybody on the wings to defend because they don't have Trevor Ariza. I was actually just on a podcast today, and I have I have Memphis going six and two. Oh, come on, Parker. Six and two? Okay, wait. I, I said six and two with an asterisk because that last oh. game depends on – or a, the asterisks usually depend on Zion's situation and what uh, Budenholzer decides to do with Giannis and Middleton on that last game. I guess. I mean, I, you got to tip your cap to OKC. We'll talk more about this to get Leanne out of here in a minute. Uh, yeah. Toronto and Boston may still be playing for seeding. You don't know what that's going to look like. Six and two seems a bit optimistic. Uh, but It is, but I try to give the best reasoning possible. I did actually have them losing to OKC. It's more okay. about I don't like Utah. So. <laughs> well, uh, I do think they're, they're definitely weaker than they were uh, when the season was suspended. Leanna, we'll get you out of here on this. Uh, the GEB Live question of the day was tweeted out a couple of hours 
before the show got underway. Um, thanks to the folks that voted in the poll. The question of the day was, which part of the Grizzly seeding game schedule is most difficult? Uh, I separated it by those three early games against the three teams chasing them. I had the Utah and OKC in between uh, because those two don't really fit a, a, a way of doing a poll. And then finally, I have Toronto, Boston, and Milwaukee, the top three teams in the East, closing it out. Uh, the winner of the poll was those first three games. Obviously, there might still be some rust, live in-game action. You know, the scrimmages, they're trying to have some success with those, but that's still not going to be like that first game against Portland, the energy and the enthusiasm and all that stuff. And then, of course, Toronto, Boston, Milwaukee, you can make an argument that those are the three best teams on the schedule for Grizz for the Grizzlies in Orlando, and they get them all at the end. But as Parker alluded to a moment ago, you don't know who's going to play. You know, Chris Middleton, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Ante Tokounmpo, excuse me. Those guys may not get on the floor. So of those uh, in, in that structure, the first three games, Portland, San Antonio, New Orleans, then you have the Utah OKC middle of the sandwich, and then you have Toronto, Boston, Milwaukee to close out. Which of those three do you think will be the toughest stretch for the Grizzlies in Orlando? Um, I think it's going to be Portland, San Antonio, and New Orleans. Um, it's I'm really optimistic against the Blazers, but they're healthy. You know, we're rusty. Everybody is, granted. But I, I think if they can go two and one, in that first three game stretch, they'd be in a pretty good position, um, but it's going to be tough. Um, and for some reason, if Zion doesn't play, then they have a better shot. But I, I kind of have a feeling that he'll be back. So it's got to be the first three. He's going to make sure that Zion's back. He's going to magically have the the best coronavirus <laughs> right. tests and there's going to, they're going to find a, a cure that works just for Zion Williamson. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> Um, uh, being sarcastic, of course, but I, I do think Zion will be back for that game. I, I, it's an interesting question now, obviously, but we're a few weeks out. Uh, it sounds like they have a plan in place, even if he did test positive at some point for him to get back on the court, uh, within that window of time that would elapse between him leaving the bubble and the, the Pelicans taking on the Grizzlies. Uh, Leanna, thank you so much for joining us. It is much appreciated. Of course, we'll have you on back down the road. It sounds like you're going to be making an appearance on the Core 4 in the next week or so as well, so that'll be great. Uh, we're really excited about all the work you're going to do for us at GBB, and um, we're looking forward to you taking the platform and running with it. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for having me, and I'm so excited to get started. Absolutely. Thank you, Leanna. There she goes. Once again, Ms. Leanna Ritter. Make sure you're following her on Twitter at Leanna Ritter underscore. She is one of the newest members of Grizzly Bear Blues. We're really excited to have her on board. Make sure you're following her there. When we come back from the break, uh, Parker and I will talk a little bit about what we think the seeding games will look like in terms of that toughness. We'll revisit the GBB question of the day poll, and we also will get into a conversation with the newest associate editor of grizzlybearblues.com. He's not new to the blog, but he's new to the role. We'll talk with Brandon Abraham next. You're listening to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Do not go anywhere. 
Welcome back to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Monax, joined by my co-host, Mr. Parker Fleming. In the first segment, you heard Leanna Ritter, one of the newest and great additions to grizzlybearblues.com, talking about her experience with the Grizzlies, talking about the seeding games coming up. We talked about who would chug beer the best from the Grizzlies. I think it's Grayson Allen. Uh, they probably still think it's Jonas Valanciunas, but they're wrong. I feel like I strongly convinced them that Grayson Allen would be the winner in that case. Uh, but we left off with the GBB Live question of the day and talking about those eight games, structuring them in a way where the first three games were one option, uh, the Utah and Oklahoma City games were the second option, and then the last three games against the best three teams in the East, granted Parker mentioned in the previous segment, maybe not playing at full strength because who knows what they're playing for, especially the Bucks in that final game. Uh, what Which one of those three stretches of the eight seeding games we thought were the hardest? Uh Leanna thought that the first section with Portland, San Antonio, and the Pelicans would be the hardest. I'm in agreement with her. If Memphis could somehow come out of that two and one, I think that would be really successful for them. Parker, I'm curious what you think. Do you think it's that first three games, or do you think it's another part? Uh, and again, you could divide the games differently. You could have done half and half. Um, you could obviously just make it organized however you want. But the way that the GBB Live question of the day had it set up, which one of those three do you think is the most difficult? So I'm not going to buy in on Portland or San Antonio just because I've, I mentioned earlier in the show, Portland's wing depth is super suspect, and I am concerned about how Nurkic transitions back into basketball after missing 18 months. San Antonio, they don't have Aldridge, so it's just DeMar DeRozan and a bunch of young guys. So I want to actually move New Orleans out of that and lump them together with Utah and Oklahoma City because that's the hardest stretch of games right there. Granted, I'm not high on Utah because their, their two-star players don't get along, and Mike Conley and Joe Ingles are 32 years old, and they lost a 20-point, seven-rebound guy, Boyama Donovich. So I'm not buying Utah as a threat, really. But Oklahoma City is one I kind of have as a schedule loss just because that three-headed monster guard – trio of Chris Paul, Shadios Alexander, and Dennis Schroeder. They obliterate people. And Delino Gallinari is one of the more underrated scorers in basketball. And then they do have another brute that could challenge Jonas Valanciunas, but they also have that rim running five that's a defensive dynamo in New Orleans Noel. So I kind of consider that three-game stretch the hardest. We know why New Orleans is hard it's because – they have Zion, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball surrounded with shooters like JJ Redick and Josh Hart. So that, and then also Drew Hall. How can I? I always forget Drew Holiday. Grant, everybody calls the most underrated player in the league. And that's why I always forget about him. So I kind of have that three game stretch the hardest, especially since we don't know what Toronto, Boston, and Milwaukee is going to do because of seeding. That makes sense. I could see that. That's not the question I asked you, Parker. You're, you're, stepping and dodging the question but if you rearrange the the tweet i do think that's probably the best way to phrase it um because portland again portland is without trevor Ariza, which hurts them but even beyond that as we talked about in the first segment who's going to defend john morant they don't really have anybody that can do that uh the the spurs do if we're being honest uh duante murray can defend john morant and probably be pretty effective doing so so i do think you're you're discounting the spurs a little too much there um but that that three game stretch of new orleans 
Utah and Oklahoma City, I do think that's a place where they could fall into a one and two or even an zero and three stretch, and that's something to be concerned about moving forward. And obviously, over at GBB, we'll have further analysis of all those games, our game coverage, previews, report cards, all that stuff. We'll be starting up back up here in the next couple of weeks. But moving into our final part of the show, obviously, Leanna is new to GBB in general. Our next guest is not. He is one of the hardest working guys at the blog, does an awesome job covering the Memphis Hustle for us. He's done a great job with roundtables this week, getting you guys to know our newest GBBers. And he is the newest associate editor over at grizzlybearblues.com. His name is Brandon Abraham at BC Abraham on Twitter. Brandon, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Joe. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, what's it like to, you know, be a big shot now as an associate editor? Like, have you, uh, have, have you taken all that extra money that you're earning and bought yourself something nice? Yeah. I went, went ahead and got a Mercedes, um, (laughs) went ahead and paid in full, um, paid off my house, you know, just, just took care of everything, you know, all all the bills taken care of. You've done all the high living that Parker's been doing all this time. That's exactly. Yep. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) well brandon thanks for joining us as always uh it's a pleasure to have you and um i want to say congratulations you earned the opportunity to uh to move up so to speak uh from g from as part of gbb and you know i always talk about gbb as the land of opportunity and i use myself as a good example of that from you know back when you guys were in middle school or high school probably and you were and i was you know, starting out as Mullah Grizz and doing the commenting and fan posting and, and all those things and building up to, you know, becoming site manager. And, you know, Anthony Sane and I, I was on 92.9 with Sane today, and I was talking about how crazy that is, that me and Sane were on 92.9 FM ESPN Memphis together. That's just crazy compared to where we both started. Um, you're a good example of that, too, in terms of building yourself up, joining the blog, finding your niche with the Memphis hustle, covering them really well. I'd say you cover the hustle better than grind city media or the Grizzlies do. Um, and we do the same thing with, you know, Grizz gaming now with Brendan smart. Uh, we cover every aspect of the organization pretty thoroughly. And you, you're the originator of that when it comes to the hustle. And that's one of the reasons you have the opportunity that you have. How do you perceive your journey uh, as a member of GBB to getting to where you are now in a in a management position, essentially, in terms of editing and, and being a little bit more active, helping people develop their features? Well, I, I think really the biggest takeaway, and you said it at the beginning, is how GBB is the land of opportunity and, uh, you know, just kind of finding a nice niche. Um, when they announced, you know, the Grizzlies organization was moving their G league team to Memphis and having a local G league team, you know, no one really knew what was going to happen or what it was going to be. And I, you know, myself, you know, as an aspiring writer journalist saw an opportunity there kind of in an untapped market to really, you know, go in there, you know, cover the team, you know, one give them some, you know, I guess credibility or like get out there what they're doing because, you know, those guys are busting their butts off, you know, trying to make it to the league. And personally for myself, selfishly, you know, I saw it as a chance to really stand out. Now, sure, there's a lot more people that care about the Grizzlies than the hustle, but still, you know, I've noticed over the last couple of years, you know, whether it's my Twitter following or the hustle following in general, like it's kind of grown, especially as the hustle has grown themselves. And it's just been kind of cool to kind of find your niche, you know, find something unique and different, you know, and, you know, it's obviously, you know, it's worked out well for me. Um, 
you know, it's working out well for Brendan Smart. This week he had interview with Grizz Gaming's best player. I mean, you know, so, you know, the Grizzlies get all the, all the glory, but, you know, there's, there's plenty of opportunity for any of, you know, aspiring writers out there, you know, to cover the G League or the Grizz Gaming, you know, all that type of stuff, you know. Some of the less glamorous work, you know, you can get more rewards out of it than you think. I call it doing the Lord's work. Uh, that that's the way I view it. You're you're doing stuff that betters the site because maybe it doesn't get the views that like I haven't checked lately. But Parker's article on wearing a mask uh, and using Mike Conley as the example was extremely popular on social media. You know th- those types of of posts you know, usually do well in terms of views. I'm going to be honest. The Memphis Hustle usually doesn't. Grizz Gaming usually doesn't. But you're exactly right in that it's grown from where it started. And you're also exactly right in that it's it's finding your niche and it's giving you an opportunity to get in with the organization, both for us as a blog, but also individually for you. You know, it's a tremendous opportunity for you to get that experience, stuff to add to your resume. You know, I've talked about in the past, you know, whether it's Jonah Jordan, who's a part of the Daily Memphian covering the Memphis Tigers now, or, you know, Kevin Leip uh, was at the Beyond the Arc blog before he went to the Daily Memphian. Um, th- there's so many examples of former Gri- or Grizzly Bear Blues contributors that have taken it and turned it into something larger. And I think one of the great things about our hiring cycle the last couple of years, and obviously the the growth of GBB into a podcast network, into the blog that it is, is, you know, and Parker has talked to me about this before, you know, I've used to call GBB a stepping stone, but we're, we're getting to the point as a, as a unit, as a team that, you know, GBB is pretty awesome in and of itself in terms of the coverage of the Grizzlies and, and Brandon, you've been a big part of that. Yeah. I mean, you're completely right. You know I mean? I remember back when I first joined back, it was around all-star break of 2017 and, you know, kind of from an outside perspective, you know, you know, there was the big, you know, local news stations in Memphis. And then, you know, GBB kind of was, in my view, the lead of, you know, kind of like the second tier. But to your point, I mean, I, I think we're up there with, you know, the Daily Memphian commercial appeal. I mean, I know we have, I guess, bigger staff, so we can kind of cover a lot more. Um, we're less busy. But, I mean, it, it's great. I mean, it's a great time to be at GBB. It's a great time to be following GBB. Um and it helps too that the team, you know, really exciting and fun. And, you know, there's really a lot of hope for the future. So I think that, you know, plays a part into it too. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a great time to be here. Yeah. And um, I do want to give a shout out to Brandon and how the work that you've done on the hustle. I'm, I'm looking at your Twitter page right now. And, right, you know, it's not the most glamorous thing in the world to cover the Memphis hustle and doesn't generate the most views. I mean, he's followed by the Memphis Hustle organization. He's followed by Murray State standout Shaq Buchanan. And he's also followed by everyone's favorite two-way player, John Conchar. So <laughs> it just goes to show you that GBB is the land of opportunity and you can find your find your lane and thrive. And he's also been an awesome sidekick for me covering the Grizzlies. So I'm glad you're also sharing this position with me, Brandon. It's a pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. All right. So to kind of just dive into what we want to talk with you about is, so Joe's written about this and it was just written a part of the uh, 30 teams in 30 days series over the Bleacher Report. 
And it's about the similarities between John Morant and Zach Randolph. A lot of it harped on the blue collar player from a blue collar town. That whole 2011 speech that Zebo did after the game six win against San Antonio. So Brandon, I just want to ask you is how do you see John Morant and Zach Randolph, how they compare each other and added on to that? Do you see John Morant as someone who can join Zach Randolph in terms of his legend status in the city of Memphis? I think, um, you know, the comparisons are legit. I mean, I don't think there will ever be another Zebo. Um, I mean, he was just kind of, you know, the first outsider to fully embrace Memphis, that run he did on in the early, you know, 2010 seasons, like the deep playoff runs. I mean, it was, he was incredible. You know, his giving back to the community was great. So, you know, him being the first person to do that, you know, I just don't think there's any way Jaw can replicate it. But I think, you know, he can be pretty much number two there because, you know, coming from Murray State, you know, Kentucky, not highly recruited to number two overall pick, you know, should be rookie of the year this year. You know, the ringer loves him. All these big, you know, big sites that cover the NBA love him. And so I kind of think in a sense, Zebo walks so Ja could run. So I think, you know, Zebo was great for the Grizzlies. But outside of Memphis, people don't really get all of, you know, what Zebo meant to the city, how great he was. I think Jaw's going to get a lot more exposure than Zebo did. Yeah, that makes total sense. I think that there's a lot of truth to that. And I, in my piece that I wrote on Monday, I talked about that, the building the legend of Jaw Morant, the concept of Jaw being, you know, Zebo's blue collar is Jaw's silver spoon, you know, the the way that they're going to go about doing what they did or what, what Zach did and what Ja hopes to do uh, are going to be two different things. You know, Zach Randolph could barely jump over a phone book. You know, Ja Morant could jump over 15 phone books properly, probably. And he, I just lost half of our audience because half of you probably don't even know what a phone book is. God, I am old. <laughs> um, but when it comes to looking at Ja as a superstar, and what he is physically capable of doing. I, I am kind of intrigued by how much more the national attention is going to add to that story. Because to me, what made Zach in the core four and grit and grind and all that unique was how organic it was. And like you talked about, Brandon, the fact that it really wasn't appreciated by anybody else, it was ours. You know what I mean? And I can say during that time period, because I lived in Memphis from 2011 to 2014, like it was mine. Like I was able to take ownership of it. I felt like I was a part of something as a fan and then eventually as a blogger and all that. I felt like I was part of something really special. And, you know, people that experience that know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, that might sound crazy to somebody in New York or Los Angeles or, you know, even Milwaukee or Portland because they weren't there to experience it, but I was there. I felt it. It was real. I'm curious if the national aspect of Jaws coverage is going to negate that a little bit because you're going to have people in on conference calls, people covering Jaw nationally that don't necessarily understand Memphis as well, or maybe don't take Memphis seriously as an NBA market. We run into that all the time uh, at the blog and as fans in general. Um, so I wonder how different it will be for Jaw because of that additional attention. 
Yeah, I'm really curious to see kind of how it goes. I mean, I think, you know, it could go kind of really one of two ways. I think the extra attention coming to Memphis could kind of help, you know, the NBA at large kind of gather more respect for the city um, and, you know, just everything that the city's been through and, you know, kind of just, you know, stop saying the Grizzlies need to be relocated, like crap like that. I think, you know, Ja will be, you know, his comparison to Zebo will kind of help the Grizzlies in Memphis get more respect from a national perspective. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm really curious to kind of see how exactly the national exposure does. Um, I think it could be a good thing. Um, I don't think it'll feel the same. Like you said, like with Zebo, it was ours because no one else understood it. No one else got it with Ja, you know, his big following, he might have a chance to like, you know, create even more change and, you know, help out Memphis a whole lot more, you know, especially in the, you know, the, the digital age of, you know, GoFundMes and, you know, the online petitions and whatever, you know, whatever you want to do to give back to the community, you know, his following, you know, is bigger than Depot, so he could, you know, theoretically, you know, post a GoFundMe to, you know, for the food bank or something and get a lot more money than, you know, maybe Zebo could. But I think there's, you know, some positives that come with the national attention to it. I just think it won't feel quite the same like it did with Zebo. That's an important thing to point out. And I do think I like part of what made the core four so important was, you know, Tony Allen buying Christmas gifts for kids, Zach Randolph making sure electricity and utility bills were paid and not shut off in the winter. Mark Gasol's work with St. Jude. Mike Conley did remarkable work uh, with, uh, I think it was Laban or Children's Hospital or, or Methodist Hospital in Memphis, making donations for research for things. So all four of them were active in improving uh, the the organization. Mike Conley with the Grizzlies Foundation. When he signed the big contract, he made a million-dollar pledge to the Grizzlies Foundation. So there, there's so much that those guys did both on and off the court. And I think Jaws already started to do that. It'll only continue to expand. And and you're right. It's going to be impressive to watch how it varies. I like the Zebo walked so Jaw could run. On the flip side, I think for Memphis's fans, it's almost like an emotional maturation for us. Like it was ours. Like we were little kids with Zach and Tony and Mark and Mike. No one else got it. It was ours. With Jaw, I think we're going to have to share a little bit. I think we're going to have to share John Morant with the world, and and that's going to take a little bit more uh, emotional uh, maturity from Grizzlies fans. We're talking with Brandon Abraham, the newest associate editor over at grizzlybearblues.com. Make sure you're giving him a follow on Twitter if you don't already do so, at BC Abraham. Um, you are Mr. Hustle, uh, as you have been dubbed, and I think you've earned that title over the last couple of years. I am intrigued by what Yuta Watanabe and John Conchar bring to the bubble because, you know, we've written about it. Other people have written about it here, there, everywhere, talking about the rotation. Grayson Allen's healthy. Jonte Porter's healthy. You have the two two-way players in Conchar and Watanabe there in the bubble as well. The Grizzlies are completely healthy, it sounds like. There's nobody that's on restriction. There's nobody that couldn't play because of concerns of health beyond the COVID-19 crisis that may strike Memphis at some point. Um, when you look at those two players in particular, and you could probably uh, talk about Josh Jackson a little bit, anybody that played for the hustle, um, I, I do think that sometimes people get excited, overly excited, like Parker maybe loves Grayson Allen a little bit, and he sees that you know Grayson Allen is healthy and he, he can play, and 
but he's probably not going to because they have 10 guys in front of him that are better than him already. And I kind of think that Conchar and Watanabe are in that boat where it's great to have them. It's possible that injuries happen or we have a mini outbreak on the team, God forbid. And you you need people like Yuta and John who are familiar with the schemes and what the coaching staff wants to do. That's where their value is. And I also think that their value at this point is in the practices, you know, the five-on-five scrimmages. You want to be as competitive as you can be to give those ones and twos of Memphis a good look. And I do think that's really where players like Yuta and John and, and Porter and even Grayson Allen to an extent can really kind of show what they're worth in the long run with to the organization, but also, you know, prove that they, if they're in a pickle, if they're in a pinch, the Grizzlies can trust them to go out there and get some spot minutes. Do you agree with that assessment or my assessment of that important? Cause I do think it's an important role, but I don't see those guys really making waves on July 31st against the Portland trailblazers. Yeah, no, I agree completely. As big of a John Conchar guy as I am, and, you know, I, I like Yuta Watanabe a ton as well. If either one of them are stepping on the court and playing meaningful minutes for the Grizzlies in Orlando, something's gone terribly wrong. Um, I mean, John Conchar back when, the, you know, the tail end of the season when the Grizzlies were dealing with some injuries, he got some spot minutes, had that, you know, that big game against the Lakers where he kind of balled out and, you know, kind of that was his, you know, 15 minutes of fame and, you know, he's an analytics guy, you know, the the numbers love him. But if they're on the court, it's not good for the Grizzlies. I mean, I think they're talented players, but, you know, they have big, bigger concerns if they're having to play John and Yuta big minutes. But to your point, in practice, it's they're great guys to have because they're both very high IQ, very smart basketball players. So you can kind of use them in practice because they're going to be in the right spots. They're going to, you know, rotate correctly. They're going to, you know, play smart, you know, when you're filming your practice or whatever, you know, I think it just makes you better because they're smart players. You know, if you have a knucklehead in there practicing with these five-on-five scrimmages, you know, you can kind of mess up the flow of things, kind of, you know, you know, make mental mistakes and mess things up. These guys aren't really going to do that. They may not necessarily hit, you know, every setup shot form or, you know, they might make a bad pass here or there, but for the most part, they're high IQ guys. So I think, you know, that's kind of what you want, you know, especially in this unique scenario where they're doing a mini training camp, you know, they're familiar with the plays, they're, they're going to be in the right spot. And I think it's only going to make the rest of the team better. We're finishing up here with Brandon Abraham, the newest associate editor over at grizzlybearblues.com. Make sure you're following him on Twitter if you don't already do so, at BC Abraham. Brandon, we'll get you out of here on this. In the first segment, we put Leanna to the fire a little bit. We asked her to kind of judge Jordan Peterson, our our great colleague over at GBB. She brought her scouting the enemy report back. Uh, She has the Grizzlies going four and four in the bubble, but she also has teams like Portland going 0 and three in their first three games, which maybe is a bit optimistic for uh, picking people off that are trying to chase the Grizzlies. Um, I'm curious as to who you think the biggest threat is, because to me, it's three teams. You've got the Pelicans, you've got the Trailblazers, and you've got the Kings. And everybody keeps forgetting about the Kings. 
But De'Aaron Fox dominated John Morant at times when they played this year. And obviously the Grizzlies wouldn't have to see Sacramento until a play-in scenario. But Sacramento gets two cracks at the Pelicans. And Sacramento has size. They have speed. They have the capacity to compete with the Pelicans on the perimeter if Harrison Barnes is healthy. And they have you know Buddy Heald as a three-point shooter to contend with J.J. Redick. Uh, I, I don't necessarily understand why the Kings are not viewed as a bigger threat aside from them being in a small market and not as sexy to pick. And, you know, everybody wants the Pelicans to win of those three teams. And I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here. How would you rank them in terms of your concern? Cause I, I wrote about how the Grizzlies should fear nobody at this stage, but you can, you need to respect your, your competition. If we're saying that the Kings Pelicans and trailblazers are the biggest threats to Memphis, who would be your number one, who would be your number two, who would be your number three? Because I think for me, it'd be 1A, 1B. I still think the Pelicans are the biggest threat because of all the talent they have, the fact that they were supposed to be better than they are. We know they're deeper in terms of overall ability than Memphis. For me, 1B is Sacramento because I think Sacramento, with those two head-to-head games against the Pelicans, they have the best chance. If they're able to knock off New Orleans twice, it'll be them in the play-in and not the Pelicans, and the Grizzlies have struggled with Sacramento this year. Yeah, and I agree with you completely. I I think, to me, Portland's the team I'm least worried about. You know, their lack of depth on the wing is troublesome. Um, I'm I'm interested to see how, you know, they go with both, you know, Nurkic and Whiteside as, you know, they're big men. They get Zach Collins back. So they have size, but the Grizzlies do too. Um, And I just think the Grizzlies match up well against Portland. So I'm not worried about them and kind of between the Pelicans and Kings, it comes down to what is up with Zion because you know it's kind of skeptical skepticism. Like he left the bubble for a family emer- emergency, and obviously we all hope everything's okay. Um, but you know there were some rumors that he had missed some practices or like was hobbling. It's like I think it's something like an ankle or a you know some sort of lower leg injury that he might have been dealing with. So if the Pelicans don't have Zion. To me, I'm the Kings are at the top of my list. Pelicans do have Zion. I'm kind of like you, where it's one A, one B, and it kind of comes out to, you know, they're both not great matchups for the Grizzlies in a play-in. I think, you know, it's still the odds are in the Grizzlies' favor. You know, it's theirs to lose. I'm kind of terrified of Sacramento if we have to play them in a play-in game or play-in tournament because Darren Fox has dominated. You know, jobs matchups this year. It's been, you know, they, they match up very well with the Grizzlies. Um, so the Kings scare me quite a bit. I still think the Pelicans kind of are the team to worry about just because they kind of have that little bit of, you know, I'm not going to say the NBA is going to cheat their way into the Pelicans getting into the playoffs, but, you know, Memphis loves a good conspiracy theory. You know, I feel like in a potential play-in tournament or in games, you know, it's going to feel like the Pelicans kind of get every call, you know, that they're going to be shooting 10 to 15 more free throws than the Grizzlies. So that, I think that kind of puts the Pelicans over the Kings for me, especially if Zion's playing, is that kind of the NBA wants the Pelicans where the Grizzlies are. So that kind of worries me a little bit, um, where there could be a little bit of outside influence, um, and just the hype machine because, you know, Memphis never gets the respect it deserves. But 
like you said in your post, they should fear no one. You know, I still think it's theirs to lose. They're completely healthy. I think, you know, I really like the way the schedule kind of lines up for them. They get the, uh, you know, that first three-game stretch of Portland, San Antonio, New Orleans is really going to set the tone for who are we going to play in the play-in or are they going to avoid it at all? And then that last three against Toronto, Boston, Milwaukee, I, I think, you know, you can maybe even go two and one in that three stretch just because you don't know who's playing and who's not. Um, I'm rambling now, but uh, I, I do think the <laughs> Pelicans are one a uh, Kings one B and Portland. I'm honestly really not worried about unless Damian Lillard just kind of has Dame time going for, you know, eight plus games. To me, the major concern when it comes to the Kings is with the Pelicans, obviously, the Pelicans have players in Lonzo Ball and Drew Holiday that can limit John Morant. But both of those players, especially Lonzo Ball, are not offensive dynamos, if that makes sense. Like Lonzo Ball is a good facilitator. I don't want to disrespect his offensive game. He's better than he was, <clears throat> excuse me, when he was with the Lakers. But he's not John Morant in terms of offensive explosive possibility. Drew Holiday has offensive talent. He's not explosive. De'Aaron Fox is explosive, and I do believe that he is a mismatch for Jaw at this point um, in, a, in a bad way. Um, I, I don't see Morant competing very well against De'Aaron Fox. I think they'll have more of a chip on their shoulder against the Pelicans. I, I, the Kings matchup terrifies me too. I still think the Pelicans are better than the Kings, but in terms of matching up, I think the Kings may even be a worse matchup for Memphis than the Pelicans because the issues with the Pelicans are things that can maybe be fixed, right? You play Gorgie Dang a little bit more, like I wrote about uh, Dang for the, for the blog this week, and he's one of the best big defenders at the three-point line in the NBA. He's like in the 94th percentile in terms of how he impacts opposing three-point shooters when he's on the floor. Uh, you can play him a little bit more if Nicola Melli is cooking uh, Jonas Valanciunas like he did in that game several months ago, and that negates that impact a little bit. Melli doesn't you know, cook you up the way that he did uh, in the Pelicans' victory several months ago. Um, I, I'm, I, I'm with you. I, the Kings terrify me. Uh, Parker, what do you think? Well, we know that Fox came down with an ankle injury, so I want to see how he is. But, I mean, I... I agree with both of y'all that Sacramento is terrifying and being a, li a little bit slept on. Another underrated aspect of his return or of Sacramento is the return of Marvin Bagley. Absolutely. Granted, should he have been the second pick over Luka Doncic or Trey Young or maybe even Jared Jackson Jr.? Hell no. But if you're having him as your backup four or five, that's an upgrade over Alex Lynn. And that's definitely a big boost for them in this Orlando bubble. And with New Orleans, I'm more so terrified of the backcourt matchup for Jaw than the presence of Zion Williamson because Drew Holiday and Lonzo Ball are both huge guards and they both have all defensive team talent. So, and that's just not a good, that's just not a great matchup for, or for John Morant, for Tyus Jones, for even Dylan Brooks and DeAnthony Mellon. That's just an awful matchup for them. Let's just avoid the play-in. Can we all agree to that as, you know, yeah. 
my two associate editors and me as the site manager, let's just put all of our eggs in the basket of avoiding the play-in if at all costs. If they go 6-2 and two, like you think they might, Parker, uh, they will avoid the play-in. I don't see anybody catching them. And if New Orleans and those other teams go 5-3 and three or worse, Memphis is four and a half games up and there's no need for a play-in. So um, avoiding the play-in would be nice. Uh, I'm guessing our, our website traffic will be pretty high, those play-in games, but the, it'll be pretty nerve-wracking. But at least we we can feel alive again, right? How nice is that, that we have playoff basketball to talk about? I missed it the last couple of years. So uh, it's cool that they, they are so ahead of schedule that we can truly enjoy uh, this sprint to the playoffs that's coming up to the Memphis Grizzlies. Brandon, thank you so much for joining us. Congratulations on becoming an associate editor over at GBB. Obviously, your work will continue to be written and you'll continue to grow that way, but uh, a little bit more responsibility on your plate now when it comes to managing the blog. I look forward to working with you in that uh, capacity. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me. I look forward to uh, seeing what you know the next year brings. And like you said, I'm super stoked for the you know, I mean, it's not the playoffs yet, but it kind of feels like it's since they're in Orlando and it's kind of like a little mini stretch. So I'm just excited basketball is back. Basketball is back. It's something to look forward to in these tough times. For Brandon Abraham, for Parker Fleming, for Leanna Ritter in our first segment, I am Joe Molinax. However, you're checking out the show, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeart. Thank you so much for making us a part of your GB or excuse me, of your Memphis Grizzlies fan experience. And of course, uh, having the GBB podcast network, we have the starting five that we're adding here in the next couple of weeks, a new show, uh, five wonderful podcasters who are going to bring a great, great product to our network. Um, we're building up the site more and more every day, every year. And I'm excited to be at the helm of GBB going into year five. So, and going into a pretty unique circumstance with the, uh, the NBA restart. So again, for Brandon, for Parker, for Leanna, I'm Joe Molinax. Until next time, grind forth Grizz Nation. This is Grizzly Bear Blues Live. <laughs>